Good morning. We are here on another Sunday morning. Solid Word Bible Church. Let's let our live audience know you are here in the parking lot. Let's hear it. Good morning, good morning, good morning. As we are gathered today, I'm so glad to be back. I'm so glad to see all the wonderful faces this morning. And we are here on this beautiful day with a wonderful breeze. It's not as hot as it has been. So I'm grateful for the breeze, the cooler temperatures. God has blessed us today. So let us open in prayer. Please bow with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this day. We thank you for getting us up this morning. We thank you for allowing us to make it here to our place of worship. There are those that are not here with us today. They are at home or in their destinations, but they are still with us, Lord. So we ask that you bless all of us, bless this time of praise and worship. We ask that you convict our hearts and minds when we hear your word, God's word, the word. It is to enlighten our lives, guide us, and give us comfort in all of our emotions, joy, pain, sorrow, gladness. Let please be with us. We bless you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So our God is greater above any other. Would you agree with me this morning? So we're going to join in together, okay? Why do you turn into wine? Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you, none like you. Into the darkness you shine, out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you, none like you, our God. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. All right, you all here with me this morning? I wanna see hands clapping, hands waving. Open the eyes of the blind 
there's no one like you none like you our God our God is greater our God is stronger God you are higher than any other our God is healer awesome in power our God our God our God is greater our God is stronger God you are higher than any other our God is healer awesome in power our God our God yeah He's a mightiful God. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? Then what can stand against? Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? Then what can stand against? can stand against us with God our God is greater our God is stronger God you are higher than any other our God is healer awesome in power our God our God our God is greater greater Thank you, Lord. You reign above all. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are our Father, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So as we're here, let us calm our hearts, clear our minds, because we ultimately are here to give glory to God.
our main purpose is to love and exemplify what Jesus did for others. We are here to glorify our Lord. We are here to proclaim him and profess him as our Lord, our Savior, who died on the cross, who came to this earth and died on the cross for our sins. So let us continue in our worship to God. all days.
to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. Here I am to on the throne. Amen. Thank you so much. Y'all like that? Yeah. Turn me down just a little bit. 
Hey, I want y'all to listen just to the words of this little hook that Brother Newton has put together because it actually ties into the sermon. So he's going to pump it back up, but listen to what they're saying, all right? Go ahead, Mike. Represent him well. All we want to do is just represent him well. Yeah. Because all we want to do is just represent him well. We're going to let that roll just a little bit longer. I want y'all to get it. Because mm. all we want to do is just represent him well. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Last time, what? Because all we want to do is just represent him well. All right. Thank you, Brother Mike. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Look, I, I am, uh, I'm excited to, to be obviously preaching the word this morning and sharing God's word with everybody here uh, this morning. And um, as, 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 as I've been reading through uh, 1 Peter, as pastor's been preaching and, and as I was preparing for it, it became... Uh, obvious to me, at least in my reading, that Peter is giving us not necessarily a way out of exile. Peter is not necessarily giving us three steps that will solve all of our suffering woes and all of our issues that we're having. But what Peter is encouraging all of his readers to do is to do just what this hook said, to represent him well, to represent Christ well in the midst of all of the suffering, in the midst of all of the exile, in the midst of all of the pressures that may be uh, exerting themselves on our lives, Peter says that from a Christian perspective, we should be concerned with representing Christ well. Hmm. So good morning, Solid Word. We are going to be continuing, obviously, in the book of 1 Peter. Uh, you guys bear with me here as I make sure that this does not fall off as I'm talking. <clears throat> and uh, just for a few brief moments this morning, I want to talk about living well in exile, part three, as you can imagine, representing him well. Let's bow our heads just for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, grant to, come to you, uh, God, um, thanking you, so grateful for this opportunity to be in your presence, so grateful for the opportunity to hear your word and just to come to you from a position of prayer. It is a privilege to call on your name and to know that you hear us, God. Now, God, we ask that you would um, push anything out of our minds and out of our hearts that would uh, keep us from seeing you clearly, that would keep us from hearing what your spirit is speaking to us, that would keep us from receiving, right, uh, the truth of your word, and then allowing the, your word to shine a light on our hearts that then becomes um, an impetus, a catalyst for us to make some change. God, as I often say, uh, I don't need your help to preach this. I literally need you to preach this through me. Sit me down. Don't let me try to be clever or try to be anything that Charles is, but uh, let me be an empty vessel available for your use. And do with your word what only you can do, and that is make sure that it does not return to you void, that it returns to you, having accomplished all that you sent it forth to accomplish. God, let it challenge us, let it encourage us, let it strengthen us. And ultimately, God, 
Uh, let us not leave here the same as we walk through your word. Open our eyes that me, we may see wondrous things in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Look, uh, just for uh, a lesson aimed this morning, uh, what we're hoping to do, right, is to kind of get to a place where even as we experience trying times in our lives and in our relationships, that we would keep in mind that these moments become opportunities, opportunities for us to display the new life that Christ's sacrifice has made possible, understanding that we are never closer to Christ than when we are actually in these moments of exile. And I know that kind of messes with some of our contemporary theology about how now that you're with Christ, it should be all kind of lollipops and gumdrops, but really it is in the suffering, it's in the moments of exile that we actually have a clearer image of what Christ did for us and a, an a opportunity to put on display Christ's likeness. Now, we will be moving through 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, not necessarily verse by verse, but as we move through it, I will tell you what verse we're going to be focused on. And like I said, as we've been moving through Peter's first letter, right, we see that he's been giving us imperatives, uh, what we should and shouldn't do. But he's also giving us some practical instructions. Actually, how do we now put these imperatives uh, and, and walk them out in shoe leather, if you will, specifically in relationship terms, in terms of relationships to other people. And I think it's important, right, <clears throat> because what Peter is saying is he's saying, look, I know that you're in exile. I know that things aren't going like you may want them to be going right now. I know that you've had to uproot your lives in some situations and circumstances. You've had to leave what is familiar behind, and you've had to make some changes. You've now got a new normal, uh, some things you didn't anticipate, some things that you did not expect. And, but even in the midst of all of that change, even in in the midst of all of that upheaval and disruption to your life, Peter still says, remember that Christ is on display in your lives. And similarly for us here today, our lives after coming to Christ might not be going how we thought it would go. Our job situations may not be going like we thought they would. Our husbands or our wives may not be acting like we think they should or how we thought they would. Our children might not even be responding like we thought they would. Friends might not be as true blue as you hoped they would be. This COVID thing is not going like we maybe thought it would go. But what was true over 2,000 years ago is still true today. And that is that in these moments of maybe not physical exile, but mental exile, social and uh, emotional exile, these moments still become opportunities to put on display the Christ we say lives in us, and it becomes an opportunity, here it is, for us to represent him well. Now, in the second half of chapter 2, as we move through this, right, uh, Peter deals with their relationship to human institutions or governments. He also talks about how servants should respond to their masters. And then in chapter 3, Peter turns his attention to the marriage relationship. 
Now, Peter doesn't just kind of talk about marriage in general. He doesn't give kind of high, lofty, overarching instructions to husbands and wives like uh, get along, right? You husbands and wives, you communicate. Don't go to bed angry. All of those kind of catchphrases that we're familiar with now. But he actually gets very specific, first addressing the wives and then addressing the husbands. And he needs to do this because there is likely a unique situation that he is helping some of his audience navigate and deal with. You see, uh, it is not exactly clear when you read the uh, letters of Peter who his audience is. Some parts of Peter read like he's writing to folks who maybe grew up Jewish and now have accepted that Jesus is the, the Messiah. He is the Christ. While other parts of Peter that you read, his letter, read like he's writing to people who aren't Jewish and maybe came out of a pagan background, but ultimately have now come to accept the God of the Hebrew scriptures and Jesus as his son. Now, whether you think it's all Jewish believers, whether you think it's all Gentile believers, it's actually most likely that he's writing to a mixed congregation, a little bit of both, right? But no matter which category they fall into, it is very probable and likely that you have within this audience some divided households. <laughs> it's very probable that you have a husband or a wife that has accepted Christ and a spouse who has not. And so the circumstances are tense. And what we want to do now is look at what Peter says. So let's look at now verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read those quickly, reading from the ESV. And it says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is very precious. Now, before I jump off into this thing, I, I did send pastor a text earlier this week and I said, uh, pastor, I said, I see what you're doing. You left me to have to preach about wives submitting, and, and, uh, and Pastor, he's actually out of town. He said, he didn't, he didn't. <laughs> I got to fight and, and handle this one all by myself. But no, it, it was jokingly and, and, and fun nature. But we want to jump into this in the truth of God's word, and we want to walk through and see what he says through Peter about how to represent him well, even in exile, in the case of your marriage. Now, <clears throat> likewise, or in the same way as some of your translations may say, this is an important lead into, right, what it is that Peter is about to lay out. And it's important because it gives a frame of reference for what comes next. It lets the readers know, you and I, uh, know upon what foundation Peter is actually building on. It, it, it lets us know that the basis for the instructions that come next uh, in this phase actually point to us something that he established earlier. So let's look back a couple of verses because we want to be good Bible students here. So if you look back in chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, this is where Peter reminds us of what Christ faced, where he says, look, Christ having no sin, having not wronged anyone, being innocent and blameless, but despite all of those attributes that Jesus brought to the table, guess what? He was mistreated. 
He was also lied on. He was betrayed. He was hated. He was tortured. And eventually he was killed. And Peter points out that even though Jesus was mistreated, Jesus never mistreated anyone. Even though Jesus was being lied upon, Jesus himself never lied on anyone. He always dealt in truth. Even while Jesus was being hated, he only dealt in love. And not just because, get this now, not just because Jesus was a good teacher or a good person or he was just better than the rest of us or was extremely patient or extremely kind, but Jesus knew that there was more at stake than his pride and than his ego. <laughs> Jesus knew that if he got caught up in his feelings because of what people were saying about him and who didn't listen to him and who didn't come hear him preach and who was talking behind his back, that then he knew that if he got caught up in all of that, that some folks, other folks, might not make it back into relationship with God. And he determined that it was more important for him to do what God said than for him to protect his ego and to protect his pride, to be worried about what he deserved and how people should be treating him. <laughs> it is most likely, right, <clears throat> uh, that, I'm sorry, let me get here. <clears throat> and so we see, right, in Christ, it's the example. He is the measuring rod. And the context in which Peter is now addressing these comments that follow to the husbands and to the wives. Christ is the premise. He is the idea, the notion, right? And that notion or idea is this. It's of responding in a certain way, regardless of how others are responding to you or treating you. Why? Because we keep our eyes on the bigger picture. We understand that being mistreated or suffering here on earth is worth it. Hmm, not going to get a lot of amens on that. I understand that. But we understand that being mistreated or suffering here on earth is worth it if it results in someone spending eternity with God. Every interaction then becomes an opportunity again to represent him well. And you don't want to sacrifice that opportunity on the altar of your ego and your pride. So now, right? So now it is with Christ as the context, Christ as the example, that Peter then turns to wives and instructs them to submit to or be subject to their own husbands. <laughs> Now, I know that this can, as, as I alluded to, can rub some of us the wrong way, right? The idea that in this current day and age, that in this contemporary time with all of our modern sensibilities and all of the gains that we've made from the perspective of equality and, and inclusion and diversity, that from the world's perspective, especially the notion that submission would even still be discussed is crazy. I get it. But... Even for some Christians, we may have struggled with or maybe even are now struggling with submission as still being applicable today. And, and this is whether we're talking about submission in general or if we're talking about specifically in the marriage relationship. And so let me first of all, let me just squash right now. But what Peter, Peter isn't talking about, right, and, and Paul isn't talking about in Ephesians, submitting to anyone to the point of disobedience to God's word. I know sometimes when we talk about submission, especially in a marriage relationship, somebody will throw up, well, what if they tell me to go do such and so and so? 
Well, you don't do that. It's against God's word, right? So we're not talking about this far extreme kind of an example of submission, but we're talking about those things that are in accordance with and aligned within the guidance and the God, uh, within the boundaries of the freedom that we have in Christ, right? And I'm not surprised uh, or concerned, to be honest, that the world reacts a certain way to this biblical principle. That is to be expected. Paul tells us in Romans 8 and 7 that a worldly mindset is hostile. It has enmity. It is actively pushing against the word of God. And it cannot submit itself to God's word. So from the world's perspective, I get it. I understand why if we say in the Bible it says this, the world says, "Mm, I don't know about that. I don't think I'm going to bring myself under that submission. But let's be honest. And this is always kind of interesting to me. Most of us in our everyday lives actually submit to all sorts of people day in and day out. Kids at school typically submit to teachers. People at work typically submit to their bosses. Look, when you came into the parking lot today, we submitted to C-Dub back there when he said, you can park over here or park over there. (laughs) Even when you go to the drive-thru, and this one burns me up, when they come and say, hey, can you pull up just a little bit? I don't want to. But guess what I do? I submit. And I pull up, right? But for Christians, right? And I'm not talking about Christians in name only. I'm talking about those who have truly been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. When we find ourselves feeling rubbed the wrong way or starting to feel a certain kind of way when submission comes up, it's likely because of one of two things. It's either because we don't have really a true biblical understanding of submission, right? Or... When it comes to the topic of submission, like Paul said in Romans, we have a worldly mindset that taints how we receive information about submission, even if it's an accurate biblical presentation on submission. I don't know if you guys understand sometimes, but filters, right? People who are in communication, they talk about that when you're talking, right? You're, 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 you're communicating to somebody, it's, it's going through your filters, and then they're hearing it, and they're hearing it through their own filters, and then the message that I'm trying to communicate, it's, it's no wonder that it doesn't always impact them the way I intended it to impact because I'm communicating through filters, they're listening through filters, and it makes sense, right, that if I've got a mindset that is governed by the world, then when I hear submission, the filter I'm using is a worldly filter. So, so, so what I hear, even if it's a right biblical presentation of submission, I'm still filtering it through the world's Uh, checklist, through the world's standard, through the world's uh, guidance on what is right and what is wrong, what is acceptable and isn't acceptable. So from a Christian perspective, either I don't understand true biblical submission or I'm still using worldly filters to try to process what submission is. So what I'm going to try to do here, and I don't have a whole lot of time, and I'm not going to just be digging in on this because we got some other things to talk about, but I do want to frame submission kind of in this biblical context that Peter is talking about. First, it is important for us to understand that submission is an action that has less to do with the object that I'm submitting to and more to do with the one who's doing the submitting. 
It is a voluntary attitude of giving in, of cooperating, of assuming responsibility that might not be yours originally, of carrying a burden that might not be yours initially. If you look at the original Greek, this is interesting, the term used here is mainly a military term. The word is hupotasso, which is a compound word. Hupo means under, tasso means to arrange. So it really is to arrange underneath, right? And it's used to describe things being in order. It's a structure in military ranks where the overarching context is a unit of many that must act as one in order to accomplish a goal. <laughs> Husbands, let me help you out here. Um, Man, if you haven't taken a note, you need to write this one down. You cannot make your wives submit to you. You can't do it. Look, you might be able to get them to do some things, but you can't make them submit. This is, submission is a, a voluntary act of the will that your wives have to choose to do. Now, husbands, we can create an environment that facilitates our wives submitting to us. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in, in a few minutes. But at the end of the day, it is a choice that our wives have to make. So Peter says, let's keep pushing at this thing. Peter says, just like Christ voluntarily gave in, voluntarily cooperated, just like Christ assumed a sin responsibility that wasn't his, just like Christ carried a burden to the cross that wasn't his, he arranged himself under God the Father so much so that they acted as one so that they could accomplish the objective of redeeming all of creation in that same way you wives submit to or subject yourself to now now here's the kicker, your own husbands. Boy, it's quiet out there. We're going to have to, I'm going to have to make a beeline out of this parking lot. <laughs> I, I love what Peter does right here because I believe Peter is saying two things. First, he says, look, he, he's making it very clear to the men that this submission relationship only applies between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Hmm. I'm messing with some people here. Peter doesn't tell wives to submit to all men. He doesn't tell women in general to submit to all men, but he tailors these instructions specifically for men and women who entered into the covenant relationship of marriage. Not we talking, not we kicking it, not we dating, not even we engaged, but it's not until we's married that this command is activated. Secondly, I believe he is also warning wives, look, wives, don't be out there showing more respect showing more deference, more honor to other men than you do to your own husbands. Wives, don't make it tough on me with your husbands talking about what Elder Wright said, what Elder Wright is doing. Please don't do that. I don't need that kind of static. And that's what Peter is saying. Look, you need to be focused on your own husbands when it comes to this, this voluntary act of 
cooperating, of coming alongside, of carrying a responsibility, of carrying a burden in order to accomplish an overarching goal. Hmm. Pushing at this further and remembering the context now of the divided households. Here's the beauty of it all, right? Because Peter says, look, wives, even if your husband hasn't jumped on the Jesus train with you just yet, if you act like Christ in front of him, if you act like Christ towards him, you just might win him over. Hmm. Keep pushing at this thing. Paul, uh, Peter says, he, you, you actually have a better chance of winning them over if you're acting like Christ versus if you're quoting Christ. Hmm. Peter points out that the most powerful weapon, if you will, that a wife has at her disposal is to, at her disposal to influence her husband is that uh, if she wants to influence him, that is to be responsive to Christ. It's not dressing up. It's not smelling good. It's not looking good. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. But what Peter is saying, look, in the context of trying to get your possibly unbelieving husband or in general, your husband that's being disobedient to the word in some area of his life to get him on board with what God says, the best thing to do is not huh, to preach at him. It's not to try to seduce and entice him some other way, but it's actually by modeling Christ's behavior in front of him. It's by showing him that Christ can really change somebody instead of asking him to change himself and then to accept Christ. It's by showing him how Christ responded to all of us by submitting to the will of the Father. <laughs> so, uh, 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 Peter spends some time telling the wives how to represent him well uh, in marriage, but then he shifts in verse 7, right, to the husbands. And he says, husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Hmm. I like this. I like this. Right at the beginning of the verse, Peter, right, he levies the same frame of reference for what he is about to tell the husbands. He doesn't create this higher standard for wives and then lower the standard for the husbands, but he gives them the same frame of reference in the same way. Likewise, some of your translations may say, and, and again, right, again, anchoring these instructions that he's about to give the husbands in the impeccable example of Jesus. Not in the example of the pastor, not in the example of the politician, not in the example of their neighbor, not even in the example of what you may have seen growing up. Peter says that Christ becomes our new template for what good looks like when it comes to right living and right behavior. So the first thing we see, right, is that there is an expectation of husbands where he says, uh, husbands, live with your wives. This is an expectation that the husbands stick it out, especially where you might have a married couple, one who is a follower of Christ and one who isn't. Peter's instructions are for the husbands to live with, to stay with, to dwell with their wives. There's no running, no bouncing out, no quitting, 
regardless of those circumstances. Now, I can imagine some of you who are astute biblical scholars, you may be trying to reconcile this in your mind with 2 Corinthians 6 and 14, where Paul says not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You, you may be thinking that that is their get-out-of-free-jail card or get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Uh, but uh, 2 Corinthians 6 and 14 is, is an admonition for us to not knowingly willingly, eyes wide open, rush into partnerships and relationships with unbelievers. Now, that doesn't mean that you completely uh, cut yourself off from unbelievers, but if you're going into, into business with someone whose standard for right acting and right living is not the word of God, at some point you're going to come to an issue where one of you is going to want to go one way and the other is going to want to go the other way. And so what Paul is talking about is about openly, willingly, knowingly entering into a, a situation where you are unequally yoked. <laughs> but in some of these cases where Peter is writing to these audiences, the husband and the wife started off equally yoked. They both started off maybe as unbelievers, and along the way, Christ captured one of their hearts. And Peter says to the husbands, if you are now a follower of Christ, here is how you behave. You stay with, you dwell with your wife. Hmm. But you don't do it, right, just to put a check in the box. You don't live with, you don't stay with, you don't dwell with your wife just so that you can declare, hey, we didn't get a divorce. Hmm. But Peter says that husbands are to live with, they are to stay with, they are to dwell with their wives in an understanding way. And this carries with it the idea of studying your wife's husband, getting to know her intimately, Becoming an expert in her ways, learning how to read her, how to interpret her mood. <clears throat> and can I just be frank, husbands, ladies, turn down your radios. Don't listen at this part. This is just the husbands and me talking. Sometimes, guys, we're not very good at this. I'm not saying everybody is not good at it, but I'm just saying in general, sometimes we, we, we're a bit just too lazy to sometimes put forth the effort. Or, or sometimes, right, we're just too quick to kind of generalize. We're, we're dealing with our wives and she does something and says something and then we just kind of shrug our shoulders and we say something ignorant like, well, that's just how women are. You didn't marry all women. You married your wife. And the scripture tells us that we are to live with our wives in an understanding way, which means that, 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 that we are, right, a Christian husband, a Holy Spirit-filled husband, a redeemed husband is not content with just plodding along from one day to the next with only a surface understanding of his wife. Peter goes on to say that husbands should also show their wives honor. Now, honoring someone simply means that you treat them according to the value you see in them or have placed upon them. Which, actually, right, this, this kind of leads us into this next term here that may be a little problematic, right? This ties us right into his description of women as the weaker vessel. And like I said before, right, it, this, if this is ruffling some of our woke feathers right now, we just need to bring it down, 
right? Just kind of let's, let's listen all the way through to the end, and, and let's look at what Peter is saying here when he talks about women as the weaker vessel. Right off the bat, right, we can eliminate that this is some kind of negative, pejorative, derogatory meaning because Peter wouldn't tell husbands to honor he wouldn't tell husbands to place value on something that he then goes on to say has no value. So it's clear that Peter is not denigrating women when he says they are the weaker value. Now, obviously, right, we know that in general, not in every case, but in general, men are physically stronger than women. And this becomes a very apparent explanation for the metaphor that Peter is using in his letter. But I also think that the Holy Spirit through Peter is, is doing something deeper here, right? That points more to how husbands treat their wives, not just some general statement of fact that men in general are stronger than women, but I think it has to do more with how husbands should treat their wives. Think about it. If you had to handle a vase or a vase for some folks who have nicer things maybe in their house than the rest of us, that was fragile, Think about how careful you would be with it, how gentle you would hold it, how protective of it you would be when carrying it, how watchful over it you would be uh, when others got near it, and how you would be ready to spring into action if it looked like somebody was getting too close to it for fear that they might would damage that fragile vessel. And husbands... <clears throat> Uh, uh, the, the, the more that we understand our wives, right, the more that we know about their wants and their desires, their fears and their hopes, the more completely we see them, the more we will value them. And when we value them, we will be careful with them. We will be gentle with them. We will protect them. I like that. I like that. Peter continues and says, look, husbands, just in case you get this thing twisted and begin thinking that somehow you are higher than, that somehow, husbands, you are greater than your wives, and by extension, women in general, all because I told wives to submit to husbands and through their own husbands, you need to remember husbands, and I believe this is what Peter is telling us, that in the eyes of God, they are your equal. When it comes to their standing in Christ, they are co-heirs with us. Your portion, husbands, isn't bigger than the wives' portion, and wives' portion is not lesser than the husband's portion. God says that they are co-heirs in the inheritance that Christ has laid up for all. Hmm. Lastly, Peter is like, look, husbands, if I haven't been able to convince you that based on everything I've laid out, using Christ as the example, explaining to you the need to live with your wives in an understanding way, if I haven't convinced you of the importance of honoring them and valuing them, because after all, they are co-heirs with you in Christ, if it hasn't compelled you enough to do what you should do, know this, husbands, if you mess around and don't do these things, your prayers will be hindered. When, when, when I used to read that, I used to be like, oh, man, God won't answer your prayers. But when I looked at it a little closely, it's not, it doesn't say God won't answer your prayers. It says your prayers will be hindered. In other words, your prayers will be cut off. They won't even make it to God. 
I don't know how a God who can see everything, hear everything, knows everything, can have prayers hindered from him. But if he said it, I'm going to believe it. And I don't want to be the one who tests it out and figures out, oh, that's how he does it. And so Peter tells husbands, look, if you aren't convinced by everything else that I've laid out, the case I've laid before you, know that how God responds to you is directly related to how you treat your wife. So we've looked at representing him well according to Peter in marriages, but now we want to close out this section of his letter with focusing on uh, representing Christ well in suffering in general. And I really just want to pull out about four points out of verses 14, 15, and 16. And there, uh, here, uh, 14 and through 16 is, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Now, the first thing I think is important to point out, right, is the context that Peter is talking about here is suffering for the sake of righteousness. He's not talking about suffering because you've sown some foul seed and now you've got to reap some foul fruit, right? He's not just talking about kind of the experiences that everyone experiences in this life because we live in a fallen world. But this is about suffering for the sake, for the cause of Christ. Secondly, Peter tells us in verse 15 that when we find ourselves suffering for righteousness sake, the first thing that we need to do is to honor Christ in our hearts as Lord and as holy. In other words, I think what Peter is saying here is that if you experience suffering because of your commitment to Christ, depending on the severity of the suffering, you and I might be tempted to give in, to give up, to compromise whatever stand we were taking to back down and just go with the flow. But Peter says that if in your heart, right, you have placed the right value on Christ, on who he is, if in your heart, right, you acknowledge that he is the Lord of all uh, and, 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 and understand that he is holy, right, then it won't be as easy to back down. Think about it, right? If, 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 Bowden, if, if you just think Jesus is a good teacher and then I start banging you upside your head because you're following some of his teachings, it might be easy for you to say, well, he was just a good teacher. I don't have to follow these teachings while I'm getting banged upside my head, right? But if our view of Christ is not just as a good teacher, but as the sovereign God over our lives, then it's not as easy to put down his commandments when it gets a little tough on this side. And that's what Peter is saying. He's saying, look, you need to have determined in your heart and in your mind because you can't, when, when the heat gets turned on, it's too late then to be trying to decide who you think Jesus is. Because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to jump out the pot. But he says, you need to have determined before going into the fire who Jesus is in your heart so that when it gets tough, 
when it gets tight, when the vice of life gets cramped on you, when the pressures start coming at you, when people are mistreating you, then you will look at that and say, as much as this hurts and as much as I'd like for this to be over, I've made up in my mind who Jesus Christ is and I can't put him down lightly because of who he is and what he has done for me. So I will endure this suffering. Third, Peter also says, look, this isn't just about kind of grinning and bearing it either. It's not about just being a silent sufferer, but we need to be ready to make a defense, not of why we don't deserve what's happening to us, not a defense of why those who are inflicting this suffering on us will one day face the wrath of God, but, but we need to be prepared to give a defense of the hope that is in us. Now, of course, right? This all presupposes that we're moving through the suffering, that we're moving through the exile, looking like someone who has hope. If you've been truly suffering for righteousness sake and no one has asked you about the hope that you have, no one has asked you how is it that you're remaining so positive and so hopeful, it might just be because you haven't been. There's also a responsibility for us to be ready, to be prepared, to give an answer when we are asked. That means that we have to do some pre-work. We have to do some Bible reading, some Bible studying, some praying and some praising, some singing and some worshiping so that when someone asks for the reason for our hope, we've got something inside of us to share. Lastly, and I think we need to hear this. When Peter says, if you're suffering because folks are lying on you, he says, in effect, make sure that it's a lie. Let me say that again. If you find yourself suffering because people are lying on you, Peter says, you better make sure that it's a lie. There, there's nothing worse, right? I'm so tired of seeing people getting angry getting bent out of shape. They are indignant, not because of what they didn't do that they're being accused of, but they're all bent out of shape because they didn't like how the truth of what they were doing came to light. Peter tells us that as Christ followers, you aren't concerned with the method of how the truth is elevated. You're concerned with what the truth is and that our lives should be one that if someone is slandering us, that it needs to show enough be slander. They can't just be telling us what we're actually doing in our lives. So look, the bottom line is, this is the conclusion of, of the sermon. This is the end as we move through this. The bottom line is this, right? That going through periods of exile, when we find ourselves, right, in these moments of either physical exile, mental exile, emotional, spiritual exile, it is no excuse for us to not behave Christ-like. Given what's going on now, look, everything is turned upside down. We're, we're out in the parking lot having church. It's hot. It, it, we're wearing masks everywhere we've got to go. We've got school districts not sure what they're going to do with the kids. We've got work and, and jobs and, and restaurants and all these things fluctuating, and it's uncertain. We've got an election coming up, and there's craziness all around. Peter says, yep, I understand what's going on, but that is not an excuse for you to stop representing him well. 
Oh, I get it. You feel like you're, you're kind of on your own. You've got to survive. It's, it's eat or be eaten. You've got to do for yours. But Peter says, uh-uh-uh, that's not an excuse. You've got to represent him well. We have to keep in mind that these are opportunities for us to literally represent Christ well, follow Christ's example so that lives around us may be changed and God can be glorified in the process. Amen? Amen. 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 Look, solid word, friends and family. Uh, we, the encouragement uh, is clear from Peter's uh, word that tough times happen. This is not a, a church that preaches that, uh, that you have no trouble, that you have no problems, that there won't be moments of suffering, that there won't even be moments of exile, that there won't be times when friends and family will turn their backs on us because of Christ. But what we see in the book of 1 Peter is not a recipe for how to get out of exile. It's not a recipe for how to end suffering. But it's actually encouragement and an exhortation of how to represent Christ well, even in the midst of this. And I think this is some help here for all of us, because what Peter is doing, and he does this in the first couple of chapters, is he reminds them the reason why you can move through this suffering, the reason why you can move through this moment of uncertainty, these new normals, you've left old lives behind, you're doing some things like you've never done before, stuff isn't how you wanted it to be. You wanted to go on vacation, and you had to cancel some plans, and you thought you were going to be uh, going to prom and going to grad, all of these things. And yeah, I'm not minimizing that those things aren't impactful, but what Peter is doing for this, uh, for this body here and for all of us that are reading this is he's saying, I want you to keep in mind that as disruptive as it may be in the moment, there's something bigger that we have our eyes set on. And that has not changed, family. COVID can't change the kingdom. Yeah. God is still on the throne. And so Peter says, in the midst of this, God is still moving. He's still working. And we can be a part of his moving and his working if we represent him well. So the challenge for us as we go back into whatever our new normals are, whether it's e-learning, whether it's e-working, whether it's uh, uh, going in, or whether you're a frontline worker, an essential worker, whatever your new normal is, ask yourself, Am I representing him well, even in the midst of this exile? I don't want to take for granted that everybody here has a relationship with Christ, as we said before. If you want to know, if you want to know that you know that you know that you know that you have a relationship with Christ and that that relationship is secured by God's Holy Spirit, that it has guaranteed that you are one of these co-heirs in the eyes of Christ, then please come see me after service. Come see one of the elders, one of the deacons. Pull on anybody's uh, uh, sleeve and, and say, hey, take me to somebody who can help me walk through this thing. And we'd be more than happy to do that. If you do that, if you're listening at home, you're watching at home and you've made that decision, if you would share that with us uh, following using the email address that uh, you'll see at the end of the broadcast. We would love to be able to pray for you and to reach out to you if you would like us to do that as well so that we can come alongside because at the end of the day, we are all just trying to represent him well. 
Amen. Amen. You all have a good rest of the day. Thank you all so much for coming out. You've been listening to a broadcast of Solid Word Bible Church located at 4374 West 52nd Street, Indianapolis, Indiana. And if you made the decision to give your life to Christ, would you please share it with us so we can rejoice with you and also pray for you. Again, thank you for joining us and may God continue to keep you until next time.